One of the things I really appreciate about this congregation, we have, one of the things I appreciate is that we have hundreds of kids, hundreds of kids between the ages of babies and 18-year-olds. And one thing that I really appreciate is that when we gather to worship, we're all in here together as families. I know that can be challenging sometimes for moms and dads, but it's good. It's good that we're bringing our young people up to know that this is, this is important and this is good and this is a part of who we are and helps shape us into who we are. And, and so this morning, I want to tell you about something cool that our, our children's education uh, ministry has put together. Mikey Kin's father and Rosalind Miller and everybody who works in the children's education is just absolutely awesome awesome. And they put together this children's bulletin. There's a picture of it on the screen. There you go. And I, I love this because it gives our young people a chance to take notes and draw pictures or write down things that they hear so that we can involve them in everything that's going on here. And I'm so, I love, sometimes kids will come up to me after services and they'll show me or sometimes they give me a picture that they drew about something that, that was preached about. And I love to see how their minds work and how they're listening and being shaped by what we're doing here. When I was doing a gospel meeting, in Waco a few months ago, I had some kids give me pictures that were incredibly artistic, but incredibly profound. And every time I preach, I always think, did that make sense? Did anybody understand anything that I just said? Maybe I was just totally off today. And, and then a kid comes up and, and I think, ah, oh, if they got it, that's so good. And so I'm so excited that we have these bulletins. So if you didn't, if you're a parent or a kid, if you didn't get one this week, make sure you get one next week. I think we'll even have them at our one church service when we meet, uh, in out. Did I tell you about that? I'm excited about that. We all know how excited I am about that. In a couple of weeks, meeting in Allen, and I think we'll even have children's bulletins there. Speaking of that, with that in mind, here's a statistic that I heard this week, that only 20% of millennials, and millennials would be anybody between the age of uh, 22 and 37. I know when you think of millennials, you may think younger than that, but a millennial is actually anybody between the age of 22 and 37, and only 20% of millennials think that church attendance coming here and assembling, that that only 20% of them believe that that's important. So, I mean, just kind of picture that in your head. If you took, if you took 10 random American millennials, 22 to 37 years old, and you stood them up here and you asked them, how many of you believe that it is unimportant, that what we're doing here really isn't that important of a thing? Eight of them, Eight of the ten would raise their hand and say, I don't think this is really an important thing. Even if they consider themselves Christians, Jesus followers, even if they grew up coming to church, they look at this and they say, this really isn't that important of a thing. And and let me tell you, as somebody that fits in that age category, I do fit in that age category, uh, as somebody who fits in that age category, I get it. I mean, I really get it. I get it. Some of the things that frustrate millennials, I've, I've seen it my whole life. I, I, I get it. I've, I've seen, I've seen hypocrisy in the church. I've seen apathy in the church. I've seen materialism in the church. Those things frustrate me. I, I know what it's like to sit through a sermon. When I was a kid, I thought sermons came in two types. Those that uh, lectured you to death and those that bored you to death. Sometimes you'd take the lecture over the boredom, you know, just because it's interesting. But, you know, I, but I, I get it. I, I get it. Some of the same things that frustrate other millennials frustrate me. I get it. But, but here's the thing. 
the person, the Christian that frustrates me the most, the Christian that doesn't get it and that needs to shape up and be different, the Christian that frustrates me the most is me. And I'm not giving up on me. And I'm not giving up on the church. See, I I understand the frustration, and I agree with the frustration, but what I don't agree with is the conclusion that this is unimportant. Because I think this is incredibly important. It's incredibly important for me. Because as someone who wants to follow Jesus, I have a long way to go, and I need somebody, and I need lots of people to help me and shape me and encourage me and teach me and discipline me and admonish me. I need that. And that happens in this community. That, that happens in this gathering. And because I'm not giving up on me, even though I frustrate me, I'm never going to give up on God's people, even if at times they frustrate me. So again, I say to anybody, millennial or not, that might at times get frustrated and think, what, what good is this really accomplishing? Are we really who we claim to be? Are we really following Jesus? Are we really going out in the world and doing good and changing things? Even if we're not always what we ought to be, it doesn't mean this is unimportant. In fact, I think that we need to take a step back and look at how vitally important this is and recommit ourselves to this and what happens here. Because, church, what happens here centers on everything that we sang this morning, the Word of God. What Steve said this morning, the hope and the promises of God. And to proclaim those things, that Word of God is what is going to change me, the person that frustrates me the most, and maybe you're the person that frustrates you the most, and it's the Word of God that's going to make that difference. It's the Word of God that's going to change you and shape you. And so we need to commit ourselves, or maybe some of us need to recommit ourselves to the preaching and the teaching and the reading of Scripture because that that collection of letters, books, and stories, that collection of ancient writings, those 66 books will absolutely change your life if you will let them. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. So you get your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now, Timothy was a young man, not, not a millennial because that was thousands of years ago, but he was a young man and he was a young evangelist. And he was preaching in the city of Ephesus and, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. There was a lot of false teaching in Ephesus. There were people that were coming in and they were teaching things that weren't true and that were false. And so Timothy was there to kind of set things straight and to kind of correct the teaching that wasn't right. And so Paul, his, his mentor, the apostle of Jesus and apostle of Jesus, is writing to him and, and encouraging him and telling him what exactly he's supposed to be accomplishing. And there's so much that we can learn here about the church, because we're a church like the church in Ephesus. We're Jesus followers like the Jesus followers in Ephesus. And we need preaching and teaching the way they needed preaching and teaching and reading of God's word. Now look at First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul says, The Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And if you follow through the whole book, Paul's saying this is what's happening in Ephesus, is that this kind of deceitfulness, 
This kind of demonic teaching is what's going on here. Now, obviously, the teachers themselves wouldn't realize that their teaching is demonic. No teacher ever does, right? No teacher ever says, well, this, this is the teaching of demons right here. Let me just present it to you. I mean, nobody says that. They think that what they're saying is right and true and good and godly. But Paul says it's not. It comes from Satan and it's deceitful. And, and, and the Spirit has always said that in later times this is what would happen. Verse 2, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, they forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Let me just kind of take a step back for just a second here, because we might look at this and say, well, I mean, why is this really relevant for me living my life in the 21st century? I mean, you know, I don't listen to false teachers. I, I don't listen to certain, well, maybe unless you include me, I don't know. But, you know, I, I, this is the only sermon I hear all week long. In fact, most of us would probably agree with that, right? That this is the only sermon we hear all week long, but it's not. <laughs> Do you know it's not? I, how many of you saw television commercial this week. Raise your hand. You saw a television commercial or ever have seen a television commercial ever. Okay. I think that's all of us, right? Do you know that's a sermon? They even offer an invitation and take up a collection, don't they? I mean, that's kind of the point. It's a sermon, right? They're trying to convince you that one way of doing things is wrong and another way of doing things that their way of doing things is right. But every television show you watch, every movie you watch, do you know they're preaching a sermon to you? If you don't realize it or not, even even cable news, whether it's Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, whatever it is that you watch, they're preaching a sermon to you, aren't they? Sports are preaching a sermon to you. You turn on ESPN or you you follow college sports or whatever, they're preaching a sermon. And there may be a lot of truth in what they're saying and their worldview, but they're preaching a certain way of thinking to you. And they're saying, this is the way that you ought to perceive the world. This is the way you ought to look at things. And this is the way you ought to think about things. And it changes you. Whether you realize it or not, it changes you. Every commercial you watch, every television show you watch, and you say, well, I don't watch TV. Well, you're still hearing sermons. When you turn on the radio, when you go to work, when you go to school, everybody in your life is presenting to you a certain worldview, a certain picture of things. And it changes the way you think about everything. It changes the way you think about certain politicians. It changes the way you think about our country in general. It changes the way you look at yourself in the mirror, doesn't it? You think a certain thing about yourself. When you look into the mirror, and whether you like what you see or you don't like what you see, a lot of it has been shaped by the sermons you've been listening to. Not necessarily the sermons here. But the sermons you listen to day in and day out without even recognizing that they're presenting to you a certain teaching, a certain thought process, a certain worldview that is shaping you and has been shaping you into the person that you are. And, and here's the dangerous part of it is that some of it is not true. Some of it is myth. Some of it is, is wrong. Some of it is deceitful. And you've been shaped by it. I've been shaped by it. We've all been shaped by it. And we have to be incredibly careful about what's going in up here. And whether or not we're comparing it to what Scripture actually says. Do you see? He says, in Ephesus, there's all this false teaching going on. And they're accepting it. And they're saying, well, maybe I shouldn't eat this kind of food. Because these people say I should abstain from this. And maybe I shouldn't get married. Maybe marriage is bad. Maybe this food is bad. Because 
the way you think directly influences the way you act. And what you do flows from what you believe. Do you know that? What you do flows from what you believe. The way you live your life is a direct result of the things that you believe. And a lot of those things that you believe are true and right and good and wholesome. And some of those things that we believe are warped and we've been deceived and our actions flow from that. So there's certain people apparently in Ephesus that say, well, I can't eat that. That food is bad or I can't get married. Marriage is bad. Why? Because they've been influenced by these certain doctrines. But but Paul says, God created this. This food, he created it, and it's good. And marriage, he created it, and it's good, and it's meant to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now look at verse 4. For everything God created is what, church? It's good. But some of their thinking had been warped. Some of our thinking has been warped. And this very fundamental, page one of the Bible, God created it all and he said it's good. He said this is good. But their thinking on the matter had been changed by false teaching. So he says everything God, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. For it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. And if you put these things, these teachings, these right teachings before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained. Now listen to this. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Listen, we are trained by words. We are trained by words. We're, we're, we are, we are interesting creatures, aren't we? With these powerful minds that we think certain things and believe certain things and then we do certain things based on what we believe and what we think. But that thinking is shaped by words. Timothy was trained by words. The church in Ephesus is trained and it needs to be trained by certain words. You and I have been trained by certain words. And, and in lots of good ways, your mom or your dad or your husband or your wife or your neighbor, somebody trained you and taught you the gospel with words, right? They had to tell you who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for you. Sometimes we discount the power of words. We say, I don't need to be lectured. I don't need somebody talking to me. I mean, just do, just do, just do. I want to experience. I want to see things. That's good. And we need to experience and see things and do things. But we also need words, true words, right words, words that come from God, scripture words. These are what train us, and these are what train the church. And so he says, verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Sometimes when we think of being godly, we think be like God, but it's really about being God-oriented. It's about focusing your life on God, devoting your life to God, saying, I belong to you. And there's all kinds of things that you can train yourself for, all kinds of things that you can focus on, all kinds of pursuits that you can have. And, and it, it really is determined by the sermons you're listening to, right? You listen to certain sermons in the world, and you believe that the right pursuits 
are to be as good looking and strong and fit as you could possibly be and run really fast and jump really high and throw really far. You believe that that's what life is all about. You believe that's the right pursuit. You listen to other sermons and you think that, that what's really worth pursuing is a bank account that's nice and full and, you know, have a big house and a nice car. And you believe that's what's really important to seek after. Or you believe if you listen to some sermons that how many letters you have after your name and what school you went to, that's what's really worth pursuing and training yourself for and disciplining yourself towards. But Paul says, listen, young man Timothy, Here's what you really need to train yourself for is godliness. To devote your life to the Lord. He says, while bodily training is of some value, and I'm sure that this is connected to the teaching that's going on in Ephesus, and maybe these people that say don't eat that food and don't get married and be really harsh on your body, that maybe Paul is kind of tying into that. And he says, it's not that there's no value in bodily training. It's not that there's no value in exercising and not eating certain things and not drinking certain things and not doing certain things. It's not that there's no value in that. But godliness is of value in every way. See, when you train yourself to be God's man, when you train yourself to be God's woman, when you train yourself to belong to God and and give your life to God, as he says in Romans chapter 12, to offer your body as a living sacrifice... That, that is a value in every way. Why? Because it holds promise for the present life. There's promises that say, you live this way, you know, it's going to be better, and you're going to have a relationship with God. But more importantly, it also holds promise for the life to come. That this life isn't all there is, that there will be a resurrection and that there is a life to come and godliness holds value not only in this life but also in the life to come. That's the promise that we build our life on and say, you know what, I could pursue all kinds of things. And it's not that there's no value in those things. It's not that there's no value in education. It's not that there's no value in athletics. It's not that there's no value in having some money. It's not that there's no value in those things. It's just that they hold no promise for the life to come. But godliness is of value in every way because it holds promise for this life and also for the one to come. And he says this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And that's, those are the words that need to train preachers like me and Timothy and every single one of us, right? Godliness. Train yourself for godliness because it holds value for this life and the life to come. That should be our true pursuit. That should be the sermon that we're really listening to. He says, verse 10, for to this end, what end? Godliness, to live a godly life. For to this end we toil and strive. Why? Because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. You see, that that gospel truth, that, that God is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe, that truth is our hope. And because that's our hope, because that's what we know, because that's what we believe, because, as Steve said, it is our confident expectation, we toil and we strive 
we sacrifice and we give up and there's certain things we do and certain things that we don't do, not because we're just pursuing a big bank account and not because we want to be the smartest or have the most letters after our name, not because we want, we're pursuing all the things everybody else is pursuing, but because we believe the sermon of the gospel. We believe the good news of the gospel, that God, the living God, is the savior of mankind. And because we believe that, it shapes us, it changes us, it trains us, it makes us live a different kind of life because that is where we set our hope. And then he says in verse 11, command and teach these things. You need to open your mouth and say these words to God's people. Command them, live this way. And teach these things and say, this is true and this is right and this is what God wants of you and this is what God promises you and here's what Jesus has done for you. Command and teach these things. And then he says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. So is it about talking or is it about example? Yes, it's both. You know, I... I I, I get a little frustrated when I hear that, you know, we, you've heard this, I'm sure you've heard this, to say, you know, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. I don't believe that. It's necessary to use words. Command and teach these things. But it's also necessary that you live out the gospel and that you set an example for people in your speech, in your love, in your life, in your faith, in your purity. It's both. People say sometimes the best sermons are lived and not preached. Why does it have to be either or? Why can't it be both? Church, we, we, we end up doing ourselves a grave disservice when we say it's all about what we do and how we live and it's not about words and it's not about somebody talking to us and it's not about, wait, it's both. Paul says, listen, if you want to save yourself and your hearers, verse 16, if you want to save both yourself and your hearers, then you have to watch both your life and your doctrine, how you live and what you say. It's both, church. It's both. You are being shaped by words. I am being shaped by words. The question is, is it these words? Is it God's words? Is it the truths that are deserving of full acceptance? Some sayings are deserving of partial acceptance, right? I mean, you hear something in a movie and you think, that's good. Kinda, you know, kinda. That, that's good. I can accept some of that. I mean, some of that's good. But it's not deserving of full acceptance. The Word of God, Scripture, is deserving of full acceptance. And these are the things that train us and shape us. But here's another truth here about young people. He says, don't let people look down on you because of your youth. Church, listen, we need to be encouraging young people to be Timothys. We need to be encouraging young men to become Timothys, young ladies to become Phoebes, to be world changers. We need to be encouraging young people that if you want to change the world, do it within the church. Don't think that you can disconnect yourself from the church and go out and change the world. We've got so much great enthusiasm in young people that want to do good in the world, that want to change the world, that want to make the world a better place. Don't squash that. Encourage that. But don't, don't let them, don't let them go away. Let's have them change things here. Encourage them to be Timothys and say, I'm not going to look down on you, young man, because you're young. If you've been trained and shaped by the word of God, then I'm going to look up to you, even if you happen to be younger than me. Let's encourage 
young men to go preach. Let's encourage young men and young women to go be missionaries. There's a lost and dying world out there, and we're we're encouraging them to pursue all kinds of different careers and lifestyles and encourage them to go do all kinds of different things and earn lots of money and be really prestigious. We ought to be encouraging some of them at least. Go be missionaries. Go be poor for Jesus. Go risk your life for Jesus. Go put it all on the line for Jesus. I know, young lady, that you want to change the world. Go change the world. And do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Go feed the hungry in the name of Jesus Christ. Go clothe the naked in the name of Jesus Christ. Go put a roof over somebody's head and do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Go and share the good news with people so that they too can set their hope on the living God who is the Savior of all mankind, especially for those who believe. Go, go share that message and we will not despise you because of your youth. We will encourage you in your youth. And set us an example. Set us an example in your life, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. Go. Change the world. Be a Timothy. Be a Phoebe. Look at verse 13. We'll close with this. Until I come, Paul says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. See, you you can't separate these things. Is Christianity about going out and living a good life and helping the poor and the needy and the hungry and the hurting? Yes. But you can't disconnect it from the message that shapes us into those kinds of people. It's not either or. It's both. If you want the church to be the church that actually really follows Jesus, that looks like Jesus in the world, then this is what you do. You publicly read Scripture. And we have to listen to the public reading of Scripture. Church, we, we, we've got, I'm not saying McDermott, I'm saying as a whole, in general, we've become very lazy about reading and listening to long, and I'm not saying you, I'm saying Wes, me. It's really hard sometimes, isn't it? I mean, somebody said, Come back tonight and we're going to read the entire book of Exodus, okay? Y'all come back. We're going to read, I'm just going to read it, the whole book. And you'd say, Oh, I can do that at home, you know? What if, what if we took this seriously? That scripture shapes us into the people we should be. And we publicly read it and we said this, this word of God is powerful. It's living. It has God's breath in it and it will change you if you'll listen to it. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation. That means that persuading people, preaching, changing people's minds about what's wrong and putting it on what's right, and teaching, explaining to people, this is what it means. This is who God is. This is what Jesus has done for you. We want to change the world, then we cannot disconnect it from this. Every single person, every one of us, is being shaped by a message. We are all being shaped by someone's message. The question is, whose message is it? Is it the message of Jesus Christ that's shaping us? Is that predominantly what's in our mind and in our heart and what's training us to be the people that we are? And I don't know about you, but I've got a lot of training to go. I need a lot of shaping to go. I've still got a long way of molding that the Lord needs to do to me. And that means I need to devote myself to listening to teaching and preaching in the 
public reading of Scripture. And if you're like me and you need to be shaped, then maybe, maybe we need to turn the TV off a little bit more and open God's Word a little bit more. Maybe we need to remind our kids just how important this is, this assembling, where the Word of God is publicly read, where we're exhorted, where we're taught the good news of Jesus, to set our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all mankind and especially those of us who believe. Let's proclaim that. Let's be shaped by that. Let's commit ourselves to always being here together and letting this message be the message that shapes us because we are all being shaped by someone's message. Let's let it be the message of Jesus Christ. Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you haven't yet responded to the message of Jesus by being baptized. What are you waiting for? Let's, let's take care of that this morning. Commit your life to him. Be saved by him and changed by him and led by him, delivered by him. Or maybe you just need prayers. Our elders, our shepherds would love to pray with you after services in the prayer room or right now. Come forward as we sing this song.